Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Shop Talk with the Sheriff. I'm Sheriff Gregory Tony here in Broward County. Today, we're having a continued discussion about the importance of accountability and transparency and some of the big projects we took on this past year in terms of implementing new programs within the Department of Professional Standards. Today, I have the honor of having a guest on here, uh, Captain Scott Champagne, who has been with the agency for 23 years. Uh, I got to tell you, early on coming into the organization, I had a, a great opportunity to sit down with Scott, uh, learned a lot, got some mentorship and advice from his expertise, having in, worked in so many different investigative practices. And he is leading up as the captain over public corruptions and internal affairs really one of the more sensitive areas that we have uh, in this agency, uh, specifically right now, and as the entire country screams and calls for police reforms and accountability, and so often these areas of concern falls on his desk. And so I'm happy to have him here today. We're going to talk about a couple of things related to use of force review, early warning systems, and things that he is doing, but I have to give the man a, a moment uh, to introduce himself. Scott, talk a little bit about your career, how long you've been here, your responsibilities, and then we'll roll into some of the Q&A stuff. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a United States Army veteran uh, prior to getting into law enforcement. I have been in law enforcement for 23 years. I started my career as a police officer with the City of Lauderhill Police Department here in Broward County. Uh, I then came over to the uh, Broward Sheriff's Office in uh, 2002. I've served in various capacities throughout the agency. Uh, majority of my experience lies within investigations, primarily in the homicide unit as uh, a detective sergeant and lieutenant. I've also served in the role of uh, countywide watch commander as well as a regional services patrol lieutenant. I currently serve as the director of internal affairs and public corruption for the agency. Listen, Scott cut that off so short, but he can go on for, for so much more. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. You know, Scott, over the last really 20 plus months I've been in office, uh, we are currently sitting in my office having this conversation today. But you and I have been in here a multitude of times related to issues uh, in terms of excessive force or employees violating policies. And one of the things that we came up with in discussion uh, as we you know, put forth the early warning system was, hey, let's develop a use of force review board to give us a little bit broader picture about what's going on in our respective uh, districts across the entire county. Uh, the last time we did a podcast, we had uh, Colonel John Hell, you know, executive director of the Department of Professional Standards, come in, and he gave a quick synopsis of all the different things we've done. But I want to dive in uh, a little bit deeper into the Use of Force Review Board, what it does, what is it, and what's your perspective on it? Look, this is your shop. You're making the calls. You're running this thing. How is it a beneficial tool for you, the agency, and the community? Well, I think it's important for everyone to understand that we live in a time where transparency and accountability is paramount in our profession. Uh, the Use of Force Review Board was essentially established to create an additional layer of internal review as it relates to uh, use of force incidents uh, with our people. Um, it allows for uh, individuals from various disciplines, uh, different perspectives and levels of experience to provide some review or analyze a use of force incident that may not necessarily be deemed questionable, mm -hmm. but maybe dives into that gray area and it's not necessarily cut and dry as to what we think. Um, it removes the burden of a sole source uh, subject matter expert which historically uh, had been used to either confirm or affirm or condemn a use of force incident. 
Uh, it's been my experience that uh, the majority of, of law enforcement officers who are subject matter experts have varying levels of perspective, experience, and perception. And perception can be everything. Um, by removing that sole source SME, it allows for a group of subject matter experts to candidly discuss, look at all the evidence that's presented, and consider what the deputy or officer knew or reasonably believed at the time of the incident and allows for um, a proper decision as to how to proceed and move forward. You, you, make, a, you make a very good point about the kind of single source subject matter expert and how that was the established you know, protocols and tradition here. Was that the case the entire 20 plus years you've been here? It's uh, my understanding, yes, that, that an SME, sole source SME, would offer an opinion as to whether or not a use of force was either good or it was bad. Now, that's interesting because we, we look at the track record and the long tenure here in the agency. For an agency this size and scale, that wasn't consistent in comparison to what some of our larger organizations are doing where they had use of force review boards uh, to mitigate that one officer or so. Uh, having that burden to to make such a decision. So now we have it in play. Now it's another tool uh, that you have. Tell us about the construct behind the Use of Force Review Board. Who's on it? Well, the Use of Force Review Board consists of five individuals. One is a non-voting member, which is PSC Director uh, Julio Gonzalez. Uh, you have a member from the Department of Law Enforcement uh, subject matter who's deemed a subject matter expert in the use of force you have a member from the department of detention and then you have two field training deputies one from D department of law enforcement as well as the department of detention and what that does is essentially gives us a collective group of individuals who have that varying perspective varying levels of experience and can offer an opinion from their point of view because traditionally us as human beings have predisposed uh, thought processes of how things should be, That's potential right. for bias and whatnot, and it allows for the group to get together, to have very candid discussions, to offer their opinions, and come up with the best decision um, that allows for the best course of action to be taken. You know, with, use, with this Use of Force Review Board, when we first had our conversation about taking this on and developing um, and making it a reality, uh, you and I and, and the colonel had a conversation about, well, how are the deputies going to view this, right? Uh, you and I know uh, in law enforcement there's always uh, a few officers who are concerned, like, hey, is, is this going to be overreaching? Is this just uh, – is the agency out to attack us? Is, is the administrative uh, group and body focused on penalizing uh, deputies as soon as we can? What would your message be to our men and women, to our personnel out there, about how this actually benefits them uh, in terms of their careers and accountability and reducing the tensions of the community? Well, I think there's two things that are inevitable in law enforcement. One is change, and two is the resistance to that change. <laughs> That's right. And I, I would argue that uh, by creating this Use of Force Review Board, it allows the stakeholders themselves to be involved in the process. And I think all too often, uh, in my experiences, um, the decision-making as it relates to incidents like this really rested upon those uh, in command versus having field training deputies, having members of varying disciplines within the agency, and allowing them to participate in this process. And I would argue that this is not only transparent for the community we serve, but it's more so transparent for the employees themselves.
that's a good way to summarize things up. I tell you another big area that uh, I want to dive into is the importance of having early intervention programs here, and what exactly does that mean, and how are we implementing uh, this this EIP or uh, early intervention program? Well, the goal of the early intervention program is is to identify and address any potential behavior or tendencies that might require some level of intervention and efforts to mitigate um, the potential liability in high liability areas that are often associated with our job in, in law enforcement itself. You know, the second part of that, the EIP program is not only focusing on that aspect of it, but it's, it, it's a, the side effect or the byproduct of that is to identify any potential issues that an employee may be having that causes, let's face it, the, the job that we're in, this business is a stressful business. Absolutely. And there are outside influences and outside stressors that may affect an employee on a daily basis. And what the EIP program allows us to do is identify a potential problem and come up with a solution for that problem. Let me, let me do this because there's so many civilians who are listening and we get caught up as cops uh, with e, you know, EIP, early intervention programs. Walk me through, walk me through any scenario you want in terms of how this looks from a field deputy going into this process and what the services might be. Well, there's really three main options as a result of an EIP alert. And one is, is there a training or an assignment issue? Is there something that we need to address there? Um, is there an issue with compliance and policy? Um, is there some psychological services that need to be administered or need to at least be offered to the employee to mitigate some of that outside stress that, that may hinder the employee from actually doing their job? So there's th those three that really we focus on as a result of EIP. And, and here's the thing that a lot of the public uh, are not aware of or, or just not exposed to is the culture we have in law enforcement, all right? Uh, the mochismo that we are not to cry in front of our peers. We are not to express the personal things that are hurting us as individuals. You know, just from your experience, this is beyond, you know, EIP or any other program. But what's your message, you know, to our brothers and sisters out there who are doing this job that feel as though they can't talk to each other or come to administration or seek these type of services voluntarily? You know, I can tell you um, I have to kind of bring some of this up. In my experience in law enforcement, uh, I've had officers die uh, as the commander of this agency. I've had employees commit suicide uh, both, you know, here as well as when I was at Coral Springs, and I'm sure you remember Dan uh, Cucci over there. And um, how do we penetrate that to where we can get our men and women to be more receptive to finding the treatment that they need? I think it's important to, to remove the stigma of being Superman or Superwoman and being impervious to all that we deal with on a daily basis. Um, coming from the background that I come from, um, being surrounded with, you know, death and carnage and homicide for as many years as I was, um, we had our own unique ways of dealing or coping w with those issues. Now, I would argue that the men and women that are out on the streets every day in uniform are dealing with far greater stressors, mm -hmm. and they need not only lean on each other, but uh, seek out that assistance if they need it. I, I think removing that stigma of seeking that assistance out as being a bad thing, that's the days of old. That's the days of past. That's right. We, you know, we're now here in, in, in modern times, and it's important to understand that so that you can effectively do your job on a daily basis and be sound both physically and mentally. Look, that's pretty spot on. Uh, you know, also within your office, typically you're dealing with 
having to assess and evaluate uh, conduct, you know, misconduct by law enforcement officers. And I remember when I first started law enforcement, it was like if you had an IA, it was like, ooh, you know, he must be doing something wrong. And so often that is not always the case. Um, how would you, you know, explain that to some of our younger deputies that are out there uh, that the internal affairs process is not just designed uh, to find punitive actions to take against employees. It's actually also to show that they were right uh, in their act activities out there. Yes, uh, coming from my background and, and, and the years that I've been on, you're right, IA, there always was that stigma of IA and it being, ooh, the taboo, the yep. bad thing. You don't want to be involved in an internal affairs investigation. Um, I, I would argue that, you know, internal affairs, it's our job not only to identify and handle and deal with the bad employees, it's also our responsibility to not only the employee in the agency itself, but to the community to identify and vet out the good employees. Mm -hmm. And I say that, and when we take on an internal affairs investigation, in my eyes, we remove uh, everything, all the outside noise, all the outside influence. We focus on the facts at hand. What do those facts tell us? And if the facts take us down a path of exoneration, then so be it. If the path takes us down a path of condemnation and we have to deal with it, we'll do that. That's the purpose of internal affairs. It's not to target employees. It's, it's to provide uh, the agency a, a measure in which to deal with problem people and also identify the people that have done their job correctly. Look, that's great. Uh, I'm glad you summarized it in that clarity because I think that's important for the community and for the people uh, that serve this uh, agency as law enforcement officers. If you just joined us uh, on Shop Talk with the Sheriff, I'm sitting here today interviewing Captain Scott Champagne, 23-year veteran of the Public uh, Corruption Internal Affairs um, Division right now, been with BSO for quite some time, military veteran. It's been a delight to have you on and talk about some of these very important issues that are going on internally in terms of our accountability and transparency and also speaking to the community and our people uh, who I'm sure are joining in listening. So, again, you know, thank you for joining me on this episode of Shop Talk with the Sheriff. Uh, remember, if you want to follow me, you can always go into Instagram at BSO Sheriff uh, Tony. It is me not the stunt double. Uh, be patient. I will get back to you as I can. In the meantime, stay safe, be humble, and love somebody just a little bit more than you love yourself. I'm Sheriff Tony signing out. Thanks for joining us.